I'm going to try and kick off because we don't have a huge amount of time this morning. I want to end with uh, communion. Um, and I also want us to have time for fellowship and, um, and uh, eating a meal together at Hebrews. But I um, said in the beginning of the year as I shared something that God was uh, speaking to me that there was some truths that I felt he had dropped in my heart and I wanted to unpack them over the church. And I do believe with every part of my being that if you'll catch this, it will not only change your life, but it's a revolutionary understanding that the church is going to be stepping into in the near future that will usher in Jesus. I feel like we've got, got to a place now where God is bringing revelation and bringing understanding in certain areas, friends, that's positioning us for the final thrust and move of Holy Spirit. Um, and it's not because I'm preaching it. I think others are preaching it all, all around the world. It's just stuff that God has deposited on my heart, and I trust I can do justice to it over the next couple of weeks. This is not something I can unpack in one quick session. This is not something that this morning you're going to get full clarity on. But if you will commit yourselves to be diligent to come and to listen and to, to hear the word of the Lord, you will um, receive, I believe, something that will do you good. Amen. So I thought this morning I'd throw out a, a whole lot of stuff and then um, uh, unpack it over the, the, the next little while. I've called this uh, start of this series, I believe it will be a series, is Whose Life Is It? Lukey, Whose Life Is It? That's the start of it. I wonder if we can just turn... Uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'll start there and then we'll unpack um, a little bit and see where we go and how far we go this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. We understand the Corinthian church was a highly intelligent church, highly intellectual. Um, knew a lot, even in the very beginning of 1 Corinthians, even talks about how wonderful their knowledge is. He even honors them for their knowledge. Um, but if you unpack 1 Corinthians before you get to 3, which is always a good idea, because I never like to take the text out of context, otherwise the text can con you, right? So I haven't got time to go through the beginning part here, but if you read through chapter 1 and chapter 2, it's talking about the wisdom of man and the wisdom of God. It's talking about the folly of the wisdom of man. It's talking about the folly of intellect and, uh, and uh, academic and understanding as compared in comparison or competition to God. Now, I'm not against people going to university, getting an education, studying whatever they're called to do. I'm not against that. I love that. I think it's wonderful. I wish universities would just teach and train you on your gifting and your skill and what you're called to. Unfortunately, they feel that it's only their right to also give you a philosophy of life. One of the dangers is we send our kids to university and to schools and to everywhere else, friends, is that you are not just getting a skill based on what you are called to, what you feel. You, it, you're also getting a philosophy. I love when I was at university to study accounting, to become a chartered accountant. I, um, I, had, I did subjects like accounting. It was very wonderful. But I also had to do a whole bunch of other subjects. Why, I don't know. I think it was to fill my day. But a bunch of those other subjects, friends, were not, had nothing to do with accounting. They had to do with my soul. And the danger is in the, the, the life that we live in, the places where we go to, whatever, friends, that there's a lot being preached out there, not from a pulpit. There's a lot being preached out there that relates to the philosophy of the soul. What God's trying to share with us here in 1, in 1 Corinthians is that the, the Corinthian church was very wealthy, it was very academic and intellectual, and it believed and it put a whole lot of safety nets in its thinking and its understanding and in how clever it was, friends. And he came and he said, but I, if you didn't realize from the very beginning, they were tripped up with that same thing right from the very word go when man was created. He was tripped up by the very same thing, friends. It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that tripped him up in the very beginning. It's constantly tripping him up every single way along the journey, friends. The reality of the gospel, friends, is that the cross is folly. And he doesn't take all the big fancy uh, intellectual uh, minds, friends. He takes the stupid. Not because he wants us to be stupid, friends. He doesn't mind if you're highly intellectual. He wants us to lay down our intellectualism and to lift up his wisdom. 
Because your and my intellectualism of this world, friends, the Bible says, is earthly, it's unspiritual, and it's demonic. James chapter 3. Now, I've got to share that, friends, because everything inside of you, what I share over the next little while, will react academically. Because we've been trained academically, friends, and we are not academics. We are spiritual people. Now, I might offend an academic. Please hear me with what I'm saying. I don't mind you studying and becoming highly intelligent and have a whole bunch of knowledge. I'm not against a person who's really clever. I'm against a person exalting that above the knowledge of God. That's all. Friends, they had two trees and they exalted one tree above the other tree. And the simple reality, friends, is God from the very beginning said, beginning said you cannot eat from both trees. Friends, the word of God has not changed since the very beginning. You cannot eat from both trees. Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I, I wish I could go through chapter 1 and 2, but let's just jump in here. But our brothers could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not yet ready, for you're still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy, strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? To launch off this morning, I just want to say that there are two categories of Christians. There is a spiritual Christian and there is a carnal Christian. Both are Christians, both born again, but you have a spiritual and you have a carnal Christian. In the church today, you have a spiritual Christian and you have a carnal Christian. Friends, what we're after is to be a spiritual people, amen? So if we journey in this understanding and we go down along this road, we'll soon find out and kind of things will help us to understand where at times the enemy has lured us or trapped us from being a spiritual people. Because I believe with all my heart, friends, the reason why we are struggling in areas, the reason why we are having to journey and go through a whole lot of difficulty, friends, is because we have been lured away from being truly a spiritual people. Let me go back to the very beginning now. I'm going to try this morning. I love preaching, but I, I need to teach a little bit. Do, we, do you mind that? Just want to teach a little bit. I'll teach and preach so we can get it. Otherwise, uh, but I don't want it to be too dry and just teach. But let's try and do some teaching and preaching. Let's go back to the very beginning and let's understand uh, how God created man. Now, you either know this or you don't know this, but I'll just catch it and get the reality of it. When God created man, the Bible says he formed him. He made him out of the, the dust and he formed him friends, and then he breathed on him. When he breathed on him, the breath of God came into the dust or human form, friends, and when he breathed and the, and, and it, the, the body connected with his breath, guess what happened? Something was created. What was created, friends, is called the soul. The soul in your my life, friends, is who we are. It's our identity. It's our personality. It's what animates our body. You understand that? It's very important, this. So me, as you stand here today, what's animating me is my soul. It's who I am. In simple terms, you can talk about the soul being your, your will, your emotions, um, and your mind, right? Um, which is basically who I am, and it gives me Definition, okay? So God creates man. He puts him in the garden. And as a created man, as a created being, friends, you, if I could help you to understand, when God created in the beginning everything, friends, the Bible uses the term living creatures. That uh, term living creatures, the original uh, Hebrew there, friends, means soul. 
when God created man, beast, every living creature, when he created all the creatures, not man, when he created all the creatures, friends, he created living souls. Because that body, friends, had a soul, it had a life. But when it came to man, man, it doesn't say that he breathed into the animals, friends, he breathed into man, okay. Which, depending, you don't have to go my route here, but I'm just gonna say, as far as I'm aware in my understanding, friends, I'm not too sure that animals go to heaven. Okay, because they weren't breathed on. But, but if you believe your animals went to heaven, please, that's fine, I'm, I'll celebrate that. And when we get to heaven, if your animals are there, great. But they were living souls, means there was life, friends. Now, follow this train of thought because it'll help you understand the journey. So now, he places this uh, created being that he's breathed on now man, he, he places him in a garden, friends. Man is not evil and man is not good. Man is a created being. And then in the garden, friends, he asks simply that man would uh, eat from the tree of life, that he would connect with life, and that he would not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Man has this incredible opportunity, friends, to connect with life. And by connecting with life, friends, he would ignite in his spirit the uncreated life of God, which would permeate his soul and his body, friends, and there'd be a perfect alignment. And as there's perfect alignment, friends, then he would be eternally full of life. No death, full of life. His body would be full of eternal life. Living gloriously with a glorified body. Man decides to choose to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He rejects life and decides to go on his own way, friends, and choose his own intellect and his own wisdom of how he wants to walk, and he sins against God. And sin comes into the equation. When sin comes into the equation, how many know that in the beginning God said, if you eat of that tree, you will surely die? How many know that man did not fall down, Ooh, dead, but something died? Generally, in the Word of God, what people do say is they say that his spirit died. We need to define that because that's not actually true. Man, God breathed into man. Man was going to always live eternally. Maybe I should help you with an understanding. There's only two spiritual beings that God created. Man and angels. Man and angels are very similar. They're very similar friends. And angels have a moral compass and understanding. That's why they could choose, Satan could choose to reject. Uh, and they are spiritual beings, Right? Created by God. The difference with man, he was created, man was created in the image of God. So, uh, angels were not created in the image of God. And the Bible says that man was created a little lower than the angels. But it also says 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3, that one day we're going to judge angels. So he was created a little lower than angels, friends, because the plan and the purpose ultimately is for him to transform into the created uh, son and daughter that God created for him to rule over the angels. There's an important journey there that I'm sharing with you now so you can understand what I'm about to say. So Adam dies, not as a spirit that he dies, friends, but he is kept away from the tree of life, friends, so he dies in terms of separation from life. See, spiritual life, friends, if it's separated from God, is dead. Did we get that? So now, Adam and Eve are going along, but spiritually they have been separated from life. But they are still going along, they are still moving along. Friends, why are they going along and moving along? What is that life? 
It's called the soul life. That soul life, friends, is what they're walking in and what they are moving in and they are living in. It's a soul life. So before man fell, friends, his spirit was master, his soul was a steward, and his body was a servant. That's the divine order. So everything flowed from the spirit as a steward through the soul. The soul was a steward to the body. How many know that at the end of the day, our soul just stewards from somewhere? Our body. Are we getting this? It's why, friends, that when man fell, the Bible says, Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, you can go over and look at it, that man went from this incredible design of God from being a spirit being um, that his soul was in submission, so the life of God was flowing through the soul and into the body, this incredible uh, eternal uh, 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 being, friends, he became flesh. The minute life was taken out, man became flesh. Genesis chapter 6, verse 3. Let's help you understand that quickly. What does God say? 6, verse 3 says, Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. Very grateful that God reduced our days. Can you imagine somebody who's living in the flesh? eternally wicked. Thank God that man gets old. Amen. You just have to look around at some of these wicked guys. Thank God that there is a decaying happening in their bodies so they don't live eternally. Can you imagine a world where everybody doesn't die, friends, and are eternally wicked? Can you imagine? I can't imagine it. I think you have to think that that's hell. But man became flesh, friends, and when, and, and, and when sin entered, and so did death, friends. So that, because man was flesh. And what is flesh, friends? Flesh simply is when man fell, that no longer was the spirit in control anymore. The spirit now was dead. But friends, now the soul had become alive, and sin had enter, entered in. So sin began to control the soul and the body. We with that. This might sound academic, but I promise you, as you go along in life, we miss it. We've got to understand this so I can journey this morning. Otherwise, we won't be able to journey in the truth of the word. So this is not a little thing. This is very, very, very important. Are we with me on this? Okay. So the life of an unbeliever is almost entirely governed by the soul. Help you understand this. He may be living in fear, pride, pleasure. He may be full of ideas, imagination, uh, analyzing things. He may be motivated by power, wealth, status, knowledge. These are just manifestations of the soul. Right? That's why to be born again, friends, cannot arise out of the soul. Here's the challenge to us this morning. If I stand before you and appeal to your emotions, if you come up to the front here and you can sob and you can cry and you can be emotionally moved, friends, and, and just feel all emotionally, friends, if it comes from that, you're not born again. I could move you this morning with your intellect. I could explain everything. You go, wow, this guy makes a whole lot of sense. There's a mental assent. There's a mental conviction. There's an academic and cerebral commitment to that, friends. And you might come up and say, no, I want to give my life to the Lord. You're still not born again. We even go as far as to make people make a decision. That's a connection with the will of man talked about the emotions, I've talked about the mind, now I'm talking about the will of man. The will of man can even make a decision, friends, to come to the front to give their life to the Lord, and you're still not born again. You cannot be born again, friends, through the flesh. The flesh is wicked no matter how, whichever way you look at it, it's wicked. The only way you can be born again, friends, is through the Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, verse 37, it says they were cut to the heart. The Spirit of God has got to come, friends, and cut you to the heart. 
It's got to come, friends, and it's got to grab hold of your spirit. It's got to stir your spirit. And the response comes from the spirit, not from the flesh. And when you respond from the spirit, friends, the spirit of God comes and ignites and sets your spirit alive and you are reborn. It's very important, friends. Because if I'm appealing only to your soul, friends, you're a soulical person while you are an unbeliever. I've got to appeal through the Spirit of God, which will cut your heart with the heart man believes, friends. Not with the mind, not with the intellect, not with the emotions, not even with his will. Is this too heavy? Are you, am I throwing too much out in the, too much in a hurry? I hope not. See, although all those things, friends, might serve, as, uh, might serve as great servants, man's thoughts, ideas, feelings, choices cannot serve as master. You have to be born again by the Spirit. Salvation and being born again occurs in the Spirit, where man receives life through the Holy Spirit. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 27 says this, the Spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord. The, the Spirit of God comes into man's spirit, ignites it, turns the lights on. This is a new spirit. If you quickly go to Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 37, 36. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. He says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I'll give you a new heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So what happens when we get born again, friends? When we get born again is that our spirit man, which is dead, which is separated from God, separated from life, when we get born again, friends, we are cut to the heart. We respond to God from our spirit to spirit as in everything in God. As you are born again, so you walk in Him, spirit to spirit. As my spirit is ignited with Holy Spirit, I'm given a whole new life. I'm born again. My spirit man is made alive and I'm born again. That's very beautiful, friends. But there's a second part to that which we miss out on. Not only is my heart born again, I'm given a new heart, friends, but the spirit of God comes to dwell inside of me. Two parts, one salvation. We forget that when we get born again, friends, and we've got given a new heart, the Bible makes it very clear their understanding we are also given the Holy Spirit who comes to live now inside of that new heart. How many know that the flesh is evil, the Holy Spirit would love to have come and lived inside of us, but it couldn't find any place to live. That's why only when Jesus came did we become truly born again. So those in the Old Testament never had the experience that we had because the Holy Spirit could not live in flesh, friends. It's evil. He had to find a place, friends, where he could dwell and where he could live, friends, and he can only live where it's perfect. And so God had to come and make our spirit man alive so the Holy Spirit could come and dwell inside of us. Amen. When my Holy, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell inside of me and, be, and my spirit man is made alive with Holy Spirit, I now have the opportunity, friends, as a Christian who's now born again and filled with Holy Spirit to get back into alignment with the original plan and purpose of God. Amen. The original plan and purpose of God is that my spirit would control my soul, which in turn would control my body, Right? Now, do we get the understanding that there are two types of Christians? There is a Christian who has got born again, who's got a new heart filled with the Holy Spirit, friends, but whose soul still rules. And we have a Christian, friends, who's born again, who's the Spirit of God's inside of him, who's allowed Holy Spirit to dominate and take control of his life. And they are very different thinking Christians. They are both going to heaven, friends. This is not about a heaven or hell question. This is about a journey and a walk in God on this earth. Before salvation, the soul is in control of the spirit. Self rules his soul and his passions rule his body. The soul is the life of the body. At salvation, God's life enters into man's spirit and is born again. The Holy Spirit now rules man's spirit. 
the Holy Spirit becomes the life of man's spirit. The Spirit now has the capacity and is equipped to regain control over the soul and through the soul govern the body. Although Jesus did this on the cross, friends, man still has to put his faith in the work of the cross. These two things, friends, if you can understand it in this way as it's been explained, and it probably will be helpful now, is to simply say, friends, your position and your experience. Far too many Christians, friends, are living just in their position and not in the experience. The gap in Christianity is basically because of this reality and this understanding. If you catch this, you will, you will merge the gap that's happening in Christianity. There are people that are standing on this side with the revelation and the understanding, but they have not got the experience. And friends, you can only have the experience through the Holy Spirit. He's the one that will govern and empower you to experience that which you have become. And stay with me, and I will maybe touch on that quickly this morning so you can take something and chew on it. See, Adam was given the opportunity to eat from the tree, friends. That's why he was given a tree. What happens with man, friends, is that Jesus Christ came and died for us, not so that we get given an opportunity to eat from the tree. He came and died for us because he came in the likeness of flesh. He became our substitute, friends, so that his life could connect with our life and we could for the first time, better than Adam, friends, we became new creatures in Christ because now the uncreated life of God connected with my spirit and I became what? Born of God. Adam, created by God. Christians, born of God. First time ever, I am born of God. John chapter 1, 12 and 13, if you want, if you, you want some scriptures to help you. John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. And 1 John chapter 5, I won't be able to get to that this morning. 1 John chapter 5, you read verses 1, 2 and 3. It says this, for all who did receive him who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born, not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. Amen? We became born of God. Now we are born, because we are born of God, the, 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 the children take the life of the Father. We are born of God, we take his very life now. We're not just created beings, friends. The uncreated life of God has come inside of me. I'm now born of God. We get that revelation, understanding. Moving on. I can see how excited you are and you're just jumping in your, in your chair, so we'll just move on. When God gives his life, friends, it's an eternal life. It's forever. It cannot be reversed because it's the beginning. It's just the beginning, friends. When you get born again, when you receive Jesus Christ into your life, when you become a new living creature, friends, it cannot be reversed. I don't care how many sermons you've heard about losing your salvation or whatever. Friends, when the life of God comes inside of you, it cannot be reversed. It's eternal life. When you get born of God and he recreates and you are born again and his life comes and connects into your spirit and becomes your life, it can't be reversed. That's why salvation is not a light thing, friends. It's not a flippant thing. And there's far too many people walking around the church who think they're born again and they're not. Because when the life of God comes inside of you, friends, it changes your life. It begins, see, the Spirit of God will not tolerate anything else. The Spirit of God, friends, has to be master and Lord. It will not tolerate anything else. God's a jealous God. He's not gonna compete. But the flesh, friends, is also a very jealous flesh. And it will not tolerate God either. 
so the, my Bible tells me, Galatians chapter 5, that the spirit and the flesh are at war against one another. I know, but I got born again. No, my Bible tells me you're still in the flesh. Even though you got born again, your flesh is warring against the Spirit of God. There's one thing in Romans chapter 8 that still needs to happen, friends, and, and our spirits cry out and we groan, the Bible says. It says adoption as true sons because we've, we, the Holy Spirit's been given as a guarantor. But there's something else that still needs to happen, which we are still just eagerly awaiting, friends. What is it? The redemption of our bodies. I live in this world, friends, but I live in this body, friends. It's a flippant irritation. Because the flesh, friends, is not wanting to be bent towards the spirit. And that's where my soul is key. When the Spirit of God inside of me, friends, dominates and controls my soul, friends, my soul governs the body. My soul is my emotions, my intellect, my will, friends. If I'm still soulical, friends, then what I do is deny, I suppress the Spirit, and I give free reign to the body. Why is man still able to sin? Let me say this. How many know that wood floats? How many know that if you saturate wood with water enough, it sinks? Just leave that hanging. See, when his spiritual life comes in us, into us, it's the beginning. Without this, we were dead, but now it's the first step of spiritual development. See, the problem with flesh, friends, is that no human effort can change flesh. The Bible says, John chapter 3, verse 6, it says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. So how do you become flesh? You're born. Man, why is man fleshly? He's born. And that which is born of the flesh is fleshly. Whatever is born of flesh and is fleshly, friends, will always be fleshly. So no matter what we try and do in the flesh, it's never going to please God. Got that? Very important, friends, because Christians, born-again believers, are still trying to please God in the flesh. See, although the flesh is very strong in sinning, it's very weak towards the will of God. The Bible says, if I go into all the scriptures, it says, you know, when the law came, friends, it was unable to do what God wanted it to do because of the weakness of the flesh. It's weakened by the flesh. And the Bible also says, Romans chapter 8, verse 3 and 7, you can read it about that. The flesh is hostile towards God. God sees the flesh is completely corrupt. Even God cannot transform the flesh. The problem is man does not understand the word of God, so he tries continually to fix or reform the flesh. See, salvation is not altering the flesh, friends. He gives man a new life in order to put to death the flesh. The flesh must die. So Jesus comes, friends, to do what? To put the flesh to death. To conquer death. To conquer sin. Now, you might be going, oh, I don't understand all of this. Okay, we'll, we'll get there and I'll unpack it more. I'm throwing out things quickly this morning and then we'll unpack it. Being born again is the foundation and it's the start of spiritual life. We build upon it. You cannot teach an unsaved person to do good or to worship because you're basically teaching a dead man. If one is not born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So the word of God says... If you're not born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. You have to be born again. The starting point is the spirit of man has to become alive, right? The problem 
is that we don't realize what the flesh is actually made up of. The flesh is made up of sin and self. So what happens? When Jesus died on the cross, and it says that we died with him, so not only did Jesus take sin on the cross, but he became sin, not only did Jesus die as our substitute, we also died. This is very, very important. We understand that. Two things happened. Jesus went to the cross as our substitute because he was perfect in the likeness of flesh. Not, he didn't sin. He wasn't sinful flesh. He was in the likeness of flesh. But he took our place as a substitute and he died on our behalf, friends, for our sin, for, for death, for the power of sin and guilt and shame. He died, friends. But the Bible says that we also died with Christ. So not only did he die as a substitute on our behalf, we also died with him. And then we were also raised with him. It's very important, those two aspects, because if we don't understand it, then we just think we've lived in the reality of Jesus taking care of sin. But what about the reality of us dying? With me. So what happens when he dies, friends, is that he takes care of sin. Romans chapter 6, we could, well, we'll unpack it uh, at another stage. But Romans chapter 6, friends, is that he took care of sin in the body, Right? So he takes care of sin at the cross, but what about self? See, who you are, friends, your soul, who you are, friends, is still there. Your emotions, your intellect, your um, will, friends, is all still there. See, he took care. Sin has been taken care of on the cross. But what about self? The Bible says you're called to deny self. Oh. So here God died on my behalf and he's done all of this, everything for me and it's wonderful and it's powerful. Now let me find the Bible and let's find out now all these scriptures and everything that God's done for me and let's pray and believe that it'll be a miracle that God will stand up here, Grant will stand up here and preach to us what God has done for us. And all the promises are yes and all you've got to do is put your amen to it. So if you don't understand the second part, friends, then all we do is we live for the soul. I'm living for the now. All I need to do is come to church to find out an answer of how I can make my business work, of how I can make my marriage work, of how I can cause my family, of how I can buy my home, how I can retire well. By the way, retirement's not in the Bible. It's another holy cow. Should I just kill a holy cow? Wow, I just feel like I'm, I'm having fun now this morning. Proverbs chapter four. I just want to give you a little advice here. Proverbs chapter four. Came across a scripture the other day and just thought, oh, that's a very nice one. Let me just take that. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 18. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. Do you know that the journey on this earth, do you know the journey on this earth is a journey of the sun rising until noon, until midday? Do you know that's the journey? The journey is one that we get brighter and brighter and brighter. It's not one where it gets dimmer and dimmer and dimmer and waiting for our sunset days. What's retirement, friends? There's no retirement here, friends. You can retire in another world. Right now, we get brighter and brighter and brighter. Friends, the reality is that what I've just shared with you and thrown out a whole bunch of stuff is go and read 2 Corinthians chapter four and you'll find out that this body is decaying. It's decaying, friends, because it hasn't been redeemed yet because we're still in the flesh while we're on this earth, friends. But while the body is decaying, my Bible says that I am getting stronger and stronger. Spiritually, I'm getting bigger and greater and more powerful. The demonic attack of retirement, friends, is that we go quieter and quieter and less and less involved until we're just collecting shells and sitting on the beach and having coffee with our friends. My Bible tells me the journey is when I started this earth, the sun was just rising, friends. And as I journey throughout this earth, the sun is getting full until the end of my life. It's full day. Amen. 
And then my body might be decaying and getting a little bit older, friends, but the life inside of me is growing brighter and brighter and stronger and stronger. I don't see anything of retirement in that. Now that's what you call a spiritual man. A soul man, on the other hand, he's just understood what Jesus has done for him. Now this is a very important point I wanna make, church. And why I've spent a lot of time in this church building on it is, friends, you have to understand who you are, your identity in God. I believe in that, friends, and I've spent ages, a year or a year and a half or two years of enforcing who we are in God and our identity. But we dare not just stop there, friends. Most of the church sits and stops and camps at that. They find out who they are and what they can have and what God has done for them, friends, and they begin to operate soulishly with that understanding and that conviction and that reality. Friends, the reality is that I also died. And when I died, friends, and I was raised with newness of life, I was raised with the presence and power of God, the Holy Spirit inside of me. Now I'm a spiritual person with a whole different understanding, with a different worldview a different way of thinking and operating. I'm not so much about adding my amen to the promises of God as I'm adding my experience to the position of God. See, a carnal man, he's more worried about understanding what God is saying or doing. A spiritual man is more worried about experiencing what God is saying and doing. Shanda, we're gonna land, we're gonna land, we're gonna land. When Jesus, Jesus bore our sins on the cross. It was an event, friends, but he spent his life denying himself. Galatians helps us understand this. Galatians chapter five, verse 24. Those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Yet in verse 16 and 17, it says, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Is it contradictory? No, verse 24 stresses the sin of the flesh of verse 17, the self of the flesh. The cross deals with sin, Holy Spirit deals with self. Freedom from sin is an accomplished fact. Denial of self is a daily experience. I'll say that again. Freedom from sin is an accomplished fact. Denial of self is a daily experience. Maybe I should just touch on these. The cross grants you position. The Holy Spirit grants you experience. Jesus accomplished everything on the cross. The Holy Spirit administers this accomplished work. Jesus came to give us life. John chapter 10, verse 10. I came to give you life, friends. He came to make your new spirit alive. But I didn't just come to give you life. I came to give it to you abundantly. I didn't just come to make your spirit alive. I came to give you the Holy Spirit inside of your spirit that gives you abundant life. Faith in Jesus makes one a born again believer. Obedience to the Holy Spirit makes a spiritual man. The Spirit alone makes you and I spiritual. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter five and I'm finished. Hebrews chapter five, very quickly. Let's just go to Hebrews chapter five. Now if you're not sure of any of this, it's all in the Bible and it's all truth, I'll unpack it over the next little while. So don't panic, so hopefully I've stirred your hearts and you began to think a little bit. Chapter five. Let's just read chapter five, verse uh, Let's read from verse seven. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Isn't it amazing that you've got Jesus, we're talking about Jesus here, and while he was on this earth in the flesh, while he was on this earth, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. Do you ever picture Jesus like that? You picture Jesus just standing there. It's me again, Lord. Donkey, stand up, Jesus' name. Loud cries 
tears. Read the other verse. Although he was a son, friends, catch this. Although he was a son, if anybody knew he was a son, it was Jesus, right? He was very secure, and he knew who his identity was in God. This is a guy who's got his theology right, and he knows he's a son, okay? Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Jesus, although he's a son, he knows who he is, he knows his identity, he knows what God has done for him, he knows all of this, I'm just paralleling it to us as Christians, even though Jesus is the one who's going to die for us. He knows all of that, friends, but the Bible says that he learned obedience through suffering. Friends, that means that there's a journey here as a Christian that we miss or we don't understand and we've got to grab hold of and that when we're born again of the life of the Spirit of God within, inside of us, friends, it's wonderful to understand who we are, understand what God has done, the finished work of the cross, friends. It's beautiful, it's powerful, it's wonderful, and it's uh, great to catch hold of that. But the Spirit of God was placed inside of us because there is still a journey. And the journey here, friends, is simply that even Jesus, knowing he was the Son of God, knowing everything that he did, he journeyed because he learned obedience through suffering. What does that mean, friends? doesn't mean he started as sinful and then became sinless, friends. What it means is that he was untested and untried. He was still a baby in terms of his spiritual development. And friends, as he walked through, his obedience was learned, th his, was learned through suffering. Friends, when you have to say yes to God and no to something else, you suffer. Come on. There's a journey at church, and it's called a journey of obedience. There's far too many of the church sitting there, hallelujah, but carry on doing whatever they want during the week because of the finished work of the cross. The finished work of the cross, friends, is in two parts. The second part, friends, is a journey of obedience. And the way you do it, friends, is every time you choose, friends, it costs, it's costly. It's costly to choose obedience. But as you're doing that, you're learning obedience, friends. And as you learn obedience and you walk in obedience, it's the walk of a spiritual man. What's way better than sacrifice, friends, whatever, if you're sacrificing out there, stop it. And go back and say, Lord, am I being obedient? What's the last thing you said to me? Let me just walk in obedience because obedience is way better than sacrifice because as I walk in obedience, friends, it's the food of Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in my life now can begin as we begin to be obedient, friends. Holy Spirit begins to work, friends, and begins to mold my soul. Suddenly my emotions, my feelings, my will, my intellect, my everything is in submission to Him. I'm no longer trying to plan and think and do great. There's a lot of the church today, friends that do amazing things and wonderful things, friends, that look impressive to the rest of the church, but they're not impressive to God. He's rejected it. Because it's all come out of the will and it's come out of the emotions and it's come out of the intellect, friends. It can't come out of that. It's got to come out of Holy Spirit. As the people of God, as we walk by the Holy Spirit, we worship by Holy Spirit, we give by Holy Spirit, we live by Holy Spirit. When you walk in the Spirit, friends, then you will not gratify those other lusts of the flesh, those other things, friends, which what happens in the church today is we concentrate on the wrong thing. I can't stand before you today and say, you need to get disciplined, you need to do this and need to do that and fix something. Friends, the flesh is evil. You've got to crucify the flesh. What we've got to do is deny ourselves every single day. Yield to Holy Spirit, be led by Holy Spirit, become the people that God created, spiritual people, not carnal people. Carnal people still need milk, friends. They still need baby little scriptures. They still need to get told that Jesus loves them. They still need to get told that actually God is with you. They still need to get told that, yes, He has told you that He will take care of you. That he, friends, spiritual people, friends, have matured up. They know that. Spiritual people are walking a journey of obedience. Spiritual people are doing warfare. Spiritual people are fighting, friends. They're on the front line of what God is doing, the cutting edge 
of the kingdom, friends, and spiritual people, friends, have all their needs met. Do you know why? Let me give you a silly example, a small little example. Friend, I two quick stories, I'm finished. One quick story is I was standing on the beach down in Cape Town, and I was watching a whole bunch of people take their dogs for walks and go running across the beach, up and down at very early in the morning. And I said, what the heck makes a man get up, or a woman get up and run their dogs, and, 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 and they're sweating, and they, it's because for whatever reason, they think that's more important. More important than what? They're fat. They're prepared to pay a price for that, friends, because it's valuable to them. When you're in our journey in God, friends, what's valuable to you? You'll pay a price for it. Is obedience valuable to you and I? Or does it really matter? What I'm saying, friends, is we're living over here. When I was on the beach, God gave me a story. I was talking, whatever. I was telling him, you know, oh, Cape Town is so wonderful. You know, I would love, Lord, one day, if you give me a whole bunch of money, I'll buy a home down there and um, I'll buy a boat. And I'll just go fishing in the sea, and that's so beautiful. And he said, let me tell you a story, Grant. Now, this is a story, so please don't make it like God's prophesied or anything. I'm just saying it was a story. And then he said, what happens if I get you to write a book? I said, well, hey, thank you. I'd love to write a book. What happens if that book becomes famous? Yes. What happens if you have to travel around the world and you have to speak on the book? I said, yes. So have you even got even time for a home and a boat and all of that? No, well, that's not important. What about if a spiritual person is caught up in what God's saying? What about if a spiritual person is obedient to God, begins to walk the journey of God? Maybe all those other things that I've been so involved with and taken over my life become so unimportant, I don't even give it time. Maybe what we're trying to do is sit here and we're trying to live as solical Christians and, and, trying to, and we, we, we're so distracted and full of all the stuff that's filling our lives and trying to figure out and now they've given some more extramural activities and I take my kid here and take my kid there. I'm gonna somehow do all the stuff that's happening in my life and I'm just trying to believe God for his promises or yes and amen to help me. And, and maybe all God's saying is, can you just be obedient and walk and journey with me, Holy Spirit? Let me lead you because I'm life. Holy Spirit is uncreated life. And as I walk in journey with life, I'll fill you with everything that you need. Seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, the rest, added. You need those things, it's added. But you're walking and journeying in that, friends. It satisfies you, it fulfills you. Uh, he does everything that he needs to do. The question we're gonna ask ourselves is, do we even know what he's called us to do? Amen. So again, I'm just coming back to when I started at the beginning of the year. We need to find out what God has called us to do. We need to be spiritual people that are on this journey with the life of God and allowing Him to do what we energize us and engage in our hearts and lives to do what He's called us to do. What has He called you to do? I'm not talking about jobs, friends. Dear God, some of the stuff that we have created in this world today is so demonic and so ungodly, it's crazy. And I'm not talking about jobs, please, we should all work. I'm just, stuff that's got into our heads and it, they've come safety nets, become uh, uh, traps for the spiritual man to actually walk. I'm talking about we don't even want to abandon ourselves and just step out there with no net. Spiritual people, the only net is God. It's a trust in, a, in Him. It's everything is yours, Lord. I'm prepared to lose everything for that, friends. Those are crazy people, amen? <laughs> but that's who we call to be. Shall we stand? We have five minutes to do communion. I wonder if the ushers can just uh, dish out the um, emblems and then if you can just hold them, church. Don't take the take of them, just hold them. Please don't panic if you really haven't got a clue what I said this morning. Or even if you disagree with some of the things that I've said. I just want to encourage you. I've spent years studying this. Um, not weeks. 
years. And uh, I'm, I certainly don't, I'm not expecting everybody to catch it in one go, but I, I am expecting us to be stirred up in our spirit, man. Friends, what I'm talking about this morning is a lifestyle. It's a life. It's a committed, consecrated life. What I'm talking about this morning is not a rich man writing out a check for 100,000 rand or giving his house to God or, or, or um, you know, being impressive with some kind of thing. Friends, God's not impressed with that, by the way. Because that's just coming from the soul. He, he loves more person, friends that every single day is submitted to God and trusts God and does nothing that doesn't cost him. David said, I won't do anything that doesn't cost me. When he was offering a sacrifice to God, the guy said to him, no, yeah, you can have it for free. So I'm not having anything for free, friends. It's, it costs us our life. It costs us our life. God wants a life, friends. This isn't a journey of me trying to fix something. This is a journey about us yielded, surrendered to Holy Spirit and walking a journey of a spiritual life. Friends, if you can submit to God and do everything that he says in obedience every single day. I'd rather have a group of, of believers, friends, that are tithing every single month than a group of people, friends, that give whenever they feel like it, but they sign checks of 100,000 or 500,000. One's a lifestyle, friends. The other one's just an outflow of the soul. It's emotions. It's a will. They just decide whenever. It's intellect. Friends, what we want to do this morning, friends, is not something that I, I want to encourage you that you should take lightly. Whenever we take of communion, we don't partake of it lightly. The Bible says don't do this lightly. The more and more I understand this, the more and more I'm getting a revelation of what we're actually doing here this morning. Is that we're doing this, we're doing remembering what Jesus Christ did for us. Friends, we'll unpack Romans chapter 6 is a powerful, you can read Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8. They are probably the most revolutionary uh, three chapters in the Bible about what I've been talking about. But as we partake of communion this morning, friends, it's not just about what Jesus did in dying for us, friends. It's also that you and I died. Friends, when we lift up the cup, friends, we're not embracing just what Jesus did. We're embracing what we did. We died with Christ. And we rose again. And we are now new spiritual beings in God. Filled with Holy Spirit. Whose life is Holy Spirit. To be led totally by Holy Spirit. So Father, as we have these emblems in our hands this morning, it's an incredible, celebratory, joyful occasion to come to the table. I know this morning I preached some tough stuff, Lord God, so I know it's hard to crack a smile, but, but the table is a very joyous occasion because what God did for us is incredible. If you just think very quickly, church, what an amazing God if he was just to select the best five on the earth and he was to go and die for them and to forgive them of their sin and to save them, that would be incredibly gracious and powerful. If he was to select 100 people, if he was, if he was even to select 1,000 people, that would be unbelievably loving and gracious and wonderful. But Jesus came and he died for the whole world to wash away every single one of their sins. Friends, that is too marvelous for words. As you come and as you hold up the, the cream cracker, the, the, the little wafer uh, before the Lord this morning, I want you to understand that Jesus came and he died for you and I. And his body, friends, he allowed his body to be whipped. He allowed his body to 
the crown of thorns to be stuck on it, friends. He allowed incredible, excruciating punishment to be laid on his body for you and I. So as we understand that, friends, I want us to understand what God did for us. What He did for us. But also, friends, I want us to understand what He wants to do through us. That just as Jesus yielded His life and gave up His life, friends, so we also gave up our lives and surrendered our lives by dying on the cross. We had to die to sin so that we could live to righteousness. Romans chapter six, we have to reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. There's two parts. I want you as you partake of this uh, cracker this morning as representation of the body of Christ. I want you to reckon yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. I want you to reckon yourself dead to disease and alive to healing. I want you to reckon yourselves dead to this world and alive to the kingdom of God. So just as you eat of it right now, I just want us to just be reminded of that. Just partake and say thank you, Lord, right now for the divine work that you did on the cross, not just to redeem me and to pay the price and to take all the punishment and the guilt and the shame, but to make me alive in God for the work of God, to be obedient to all that he's called me to be. I lay down my life so that I can live for him in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And as you lift up the cup this morning of the, of the um, grape juice was symbolic of the blood of Jesus. Friends, not only did He just wash you clean, He didn't just wash you clean, friends. He didn't just remove all the sin and the guilt and the shame. He made you a new heart and a new spirit so that because you clean, He can come and fill you. Friends, as we drink of this, where He emptied His body of His blood so that you, are, you and I could be filled. He emptied Himself so that you and I could be filled. He emptied Himself so that you and I could be filled with Zoe life the life of the Spirit. So as you drink of that cup now, friends, let's do it not only in remembrance of what God did for us, but what God is doing in and through us in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. And as we've done that right now, I just want to, lift us up to God as a congregation. I know time has gone by. I've landed. But I never want to rush the importance of this moment. Friends, we don't take communion because it's a, a nice thing to do. Or See, communion itself can do nothing. It's all about a heart that takes communion. There's no power in the communion itself. The power is in God. That's why, friends, I've said to you before, you can go and take Cheerios and milk. The point is a heart that surrendered. The point is this morning as we partake, partook of communion that our hearts have been in faith, that our hearts have come into union, friends, with truth. Friends, if there's a challenge in your life this morning between the reality of what you understand and what you know and your experience, friends, this is the answer.
Because the answer of experience, friends, is your life and truth being united. So this morning, as we've partaken of communion, we've taken our lives and we've united it with truth. And we've said, Lord, because of the cross of Jesus Christ, the finished work of Jesus Christ, because of what you've done and because of my position in you, all I dare have to do is believe that and then allow Holy Spirit to make it my reality. So friends, the reality is that you still have a soul. The reality is you still have emotions, you still have an intellect and a mind, and you still have a will. But you and I have to allow Holy Spirit to come and permeate and control our souls so that He can direct our bodies. Your body is where you are world conscious. It's how you interact and how you connect with the world. Your soul is where you are self-conscious and your spirit is where you are God-conscious. God never ever wanted us to be sin-conscious. He wanted us to be God-conscious. He never wanted us to be self-conscious. He wanted us to be Christ-conscious. So today I wanna pray for every single one of us, Lord, that we have been challenged today Lord, I've shared truth and we need to grab hold of that truth and we need to bring our lives into union with that truth. Because today, even after the service, as you go out, your soul is gonna wanna take control. Your soul is gonna wanna make decisions and say, nah, he wasn't right and I read this book and that guy said this, the internet told me this and your feelings are gonna wanna take control and say, I wasn't very happy about all of that, I'm very unhappy now. Your intellect wants to say, you know what, I don't, I'm there. your will wants to do a whole bunch of things. But if we yield and say, Holy Spirit, I want you to take control. And I simply say to my soul, stop it. And I yield to Holy Spirit and allow Him to lead and to guide my life. We are, have been presented with an opportunity because we are alive at this time, friends to be the church that God designed. We have an opportunity, friends, to live out the fullness of what He paid for on the cross. I, for one, friends, putting up my hand. There's no status. There's no social importance. There's no lifestyle, friends. There's no reputation that will ever come close to the absolute joy of living in the Spirit. I pray today for every one of us, Lord, that we would choose you, choose life, choose to live in the Spirit, choose to see the Spirit of God do amazing and wonderful things in and through our lives. In Jesus' name. We ask this in Jesus' name, Lord. Will you help us? Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being diligent, church, and hanging in there. Please don't.